Uh, this morning, I want to continue on with uh, what I have been preaching for the last uh, maybe four or five times that uh, I've been here. And uh, that, if you've been here or you've listened to the podcast, you know that is to try to systematically go through uh, what we believe and to strengthen us all and how to defend it. And I was thinking this morning um, about, the, to me, the tricky part about preaching uh a series like this that really does build on itself uh, is you kind of feel like, you know, the old song, um, uh, there's a hole in the bottom of the sea and you get to going and, you know, by the time you've, you know, been singing it for a while, you, you know, you got a hat on a flea, on a hare, on a frog, on a log and the hole in the bottom of the sea. That's what this kind of feels like. You know, you've got, you've got, you know, the authority of God's word, you've got, the sovereignty of God. You've got all these things that build on each other, and it's hard to just sometimes jump into the middle of it without really understanding uh, the things that have preached before. But so the temptation is to go back and uh, in in a what you think would be a quick review, you end up re-preaching everything again. So I just have to trust that if it's something that you desire, that you can go back into the podcast and you can listen to the series of sermons and, uh, and kind of build it from the ground up because the whole purpose of this is for us to be able to uh, secure in our minds and convince our minds that we do, in fact, believe this, that this is what the Bible says, that you don't believe it just because somebody told you this. Um, or you've been, uh, you know, you've heard it preached from somebody you respect your whole life, but you do believe that the Bible says that. Uh, so when the time comes, when you need to, you can, uh, with love and humility, you can explain and teach what we believe. And if the situation calls for it, you may have to defend what we believe. And so if you will start back at the beginning of this series of sermons, you will hopefully, as you go through that and study it out, you'll be able to do that. Um, to, to keep from going uh, down the road of the song that I mentioned, uh, if you will remember very briefly, we talked about the authority of God's word, that we've got to submit that God's word is our authority, it's our standard. We talked about the sovereignty of God, meaning that God does as he pleases. There is no unrighteousness with God. And even in situations where it, from our perspective, it looks like God is unfair, he is never unfair. And that... Um, that he can bless one and not bless another, and he has done no wrong in doing that because he's God and he can do as he pleases. We looked at the fall of man and what condition that put uh, mankind in in the sense that he was spiritually dead, meaning that it is beyond the limits of his nature to seek after God and to desire God. We looked at what a sovereign God does with a uh, a race of mankind who has fallen into such a state that they will never come to him on their own accord. They will never come to him if he just begs and pleads and gives them some sort of offer that they're spiritually dead. We looked at what he does in that situation is that with a race of mankind that would never choose God that he chose. He was the chooser. He did that all throughout the Bible from the very beginning all throughout the Bible God is a God of choice, and we see, uh, we define that, and the Bible defines that as election. He chose a people. Now, that leads us into the next sermon that is for today, and that's to look at the atonement of Jesus. One question that you might have pop up 
is if, as if you explain to somebody this and you start from the beginning that I just went through and you get all the way up to election, one question that somebody may ask you is, well, if that's true, then why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to come and die? And I want to look at the atonement of Christ today. What that atonement was and what that atonement applied to. Now, um, specifically speaking, was the atonement of Jesus Christ a general atonement? Or was the atonement of Jesus Christ, and by atonement for you little ones, what I mean by atonement is the forgiveness and the washing away of sins. Okay, because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that uh, the wages of sin is death. And although, although these children of God, this family of God that he has chosen, although they are his family, they're still a problem. They're still unclean. They're still sinners. And the price of sin has to be paid for. And as I, I talked to the kids about this the other day, and you could, uh, you know, the Lord could have come up with an infinite number of ways to redeem them from their sins. So the question is, why did Jesus have to come to die? And I use this silly example, but I hope it painted a good picture for them. I said, if, if I had to ask your mom, talking about Tiffany, where, uh, you know, one of her favorite places to go eat is, one of the places that she would probably say was she, she likes to go to the Bright Star in Bessemer. It's a great place. And I said, wouldn't it be loving for me to go one day and say, hey, get dressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, take you out to dinner and I'm going to drive you up to the Bright Star and we're going to have a nice dinner and I'm going to bring you back home. Isn't that, isn't that a great act of love? Sure it is. Okay, but what if I did this? What if I walked in there and said, hey, Tiffany, I'm going to take you to the Bright Star tonight. And she said, all right, let's go. And so we, 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 she gets ready and we go out. And I said, no, we're not taking the car. I'm, and I take my socks and shoes off. And I say, I, I want you to hop on my back. Okay? Now, this is silly, but I want you to listen. And I carried her to the Bright Star. And by the time I got there, my feet were so worn and bloody that I couldn't even stand up. Now, do you think that's more of an act of love than if I just put her in that car with leather seats and drive her? Sure it is. She feels more loved when I put that kind of sacrifice into it. Now, the greatest way I can show you that I love you is not for me to lay down my life for you. It is to offer up one of my children's life for you. Are you following me? Now, sure, if I jump in front of a train for you and I die, you feel loved. But the greatest way I could express my love for you is if I offered up my child's life for you, which I will never do. <laughs> I give you mine, but I'm not giving you theirs. But think about God the Father. There's a million ways he could have redeemed us. But he chose the way that most fully expresses sacrificial love. Amen. Not by giving himself, even though we know that, that Jesus is God, but by giving what he describes as his only begotten son. So why did Jesus have to come to die? Number one, 
He had to, uh, the, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. Even though this elect family of God is the Lord's, they still have to have their sins paid for. Well, he could have done it a million ways, but he chose the way to pay for their sins that we would understand was the greatest expression of love. Why? We just celebrated Christmas. Why did Jesus have to come and be born in the flesh? Because that was all the process of showing us what sacrificial love looks, the ultimate sacrificial love. So even though they're elect, they still have to have their sins paid for. Now, here's the question. Is that atonement? Is that blood shed by Jesus Christ a general or specific atonement? Most people will tell you, well, it's just general. We believe, and the Bible teaches, I'm going to show you, hopefully, if time allows, three different ways that the Bible teaches a specific atonement. And before, before we get too upset about this, look, we see this all the time, every day. Now listen, <clears throat> probably right now, I'm sure, right now, probably in Tuscaloosa, but somewhere in Alabama, somewhere in this country, somebody is picking up the phone and dialing 911. And they're going to say, I've got a major problem and I need some help. Brother Heath could probably tell you a whole lot more about how this works. That dispatcher is going to radio to fire department. They're going to radio to an ambulance. They may even get in touch with a helicopter. And all of these, what we call first responders, are going to run and get ready as fast as they can. And they're going to tear out of whatever department they are in as fast as they can go. And where are they going? Where are their saving efforts going? Are they going to a general area? Are they going to... Now look, how many people will they pass in homes, in cars, in neighborhoods that, needs, that really could use some sort of assistance? Probably a good many. Do they stop and just say, hey, I was just checking. Hey, I'm on my way over here, but I'm just checking with you. Do you need anything before I... No, these people are leaving out with a specific area a specific house a specific address a specific person that they are going out to help that's a picture of specific atonement they leave out of there with one person in mind there is a person over at this restaurant that is they're at outback they've just had symptoms of a heart attack they are unresponsive and that's where we're going and that's who we're looking to save See, that's, that's specific. That's a specific saving. Now, if you can understand that, you can understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that the Lord dispatched him to save a specific family. And that is the family of God that we looked at last time that he chose before the foundation of the world. Now, you say, well, I don't like that, Luke. Listen. Don't, don't dislike it or like it because I tell you. Let's let the Bible go back to the beginning. Let's let the Bible be the authority. So let's look. Does the Bible teach a specific atonement? Or does the Bible teach a general atonement? Now, when we looked at uh, the, the, about the, the third uh, topic that we looked at was depravity. And when you look at the depravity of man, everything about that points to a specific atonement. 
If you can submit to, the, to, to what the Bible teaches about depravity, it is very easy to see that this atonement is specific. If I go outside right now and I walk up this drive right here and I pick up five rocks and I put them in my pocket, or did I specifically pick out those five rocks? Yes, because they sure couldn't pick me. They didn't crawl up into my pocket. I picked those five rocks because they were unable because of the nature that God has given, they are unable to come into my pocket. The Bible teaches that the depravity of man is in, puts us in such a condition that we're unable to come to him. So if we are unable to come to the Lord, then any atonement that is received has to be specific. Or everybody would be redeemed. But we know that the Bible teaches us that there are people in hell. So we know that the Bible teaches because of depravity, it points to and teaches a specific atonement. If you notice one thing in the Bible, and I, I heard this a long time ago when I first started reading and studying about what the primitive Baptists teach, and it was just very eye-opening to me. Do you know that you do not find verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus' work on the cross making you savable or redeemable? Or taking your sins and making them purgeable. It speaks of those things as, as they are past tense. The Bible says that the work on the, Jesus' work on the cross saved us. You see, the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved. It does, and, and a lot of people will amen and, and hoot and holler over that verse. But really what they believe is that the Bible teaches for by grace are you made savable. You see, grace did not make you savable. Grace saved you. That's past tense. Now, in that verse is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And for another day we can go over that is not your faith. That's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's one of the easiest things in the Bible to prove. Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, we are saved by, an, by grace which is unmerited favor bestowed on a hell-deserving sinner. And it goes on to say, just to, to, to make sure that there are, there's nothing that you can read between the lines, that it is not by works. Do you understand that? It is not by works. And it says, lest any man should boast. And I know I've told you this before. But there, if there's a method of salvation that is taught that opens the possibility that you could boast, it's an incorrect method of salvation. Did you understand that? If somebody says, well, you've got to be baptized to be saved, that could lead you to say, well, I've been, I, I chose to be baptized. It could give you the opportunity to boast. But it's like Uncle Ball prayed today. We can't boast in a baptism that saved us. We can't boast in a confession that saved us. We can't boast in repentance that saved us. Because all, that I, all I did to contribute to my salvation was do things to make a need for salvation. You see, we cannot boast in grace. Because Romans 11.6, I think it's 11.6, says, If it's by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, it's no more 
Grace, otherwise works is no more works. Grace and works cannot mix. So whatever method of salvation that the Lord chose, we know according to the Bible, it did not depend on our works. Now, again, I've gone through the Bible, the, the, the verses, John 3, 16, the verses about baptism, confession, the, ver- the verses about um, uh, repentance, all of those verses, the action word, the, the word that, that denotes what type of work is being done in this sentence, they're all verbs. The baptism, that's a verb. The, the repentance, those, those are all works that we do. Now, small or big, it doesn't matter. Those are actual works. So the Bible tells us, number one, we are unable to come to God in that fallen condemned state. So if anybody is atoned, it's because it was a specific atonement. The Bible tells us that it was not our works that brought the atonement to us because works and grace can't be mixed and grace is what saves us. I hope you're following those things, but let's look at a few more here. That uh, This is probably the one, if you ask me what was the one verse that really solidified in your mind that these things are true. It's Hebrews, the first chapter. And again, we're looking at what does the Bible say about specific or general atonement. Hebrews, the first chapter, in verse 3. <clears throat> Who being the brightness of His glory, this is speaking of Jesus, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins. That's speaking of the work of Christ on the cross. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So we know after the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, after he atoned for our sins, he ascended up into heaven and he uh, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. But did you notice what it said there? Notice again, the word here is purged. It is not purgeable. He did not make our sins purgeable. He did not do something. He did not activate a salvation and then wait on you to do something that, that, would, that would put it into play. That would take both of you. But it says he by himself purged our sins. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. And there's a lot of times that I'll read something. If you send me a text and it's more than about a sentence, you better send it two or three times. And you better say, slow down and read. Because I'll skim it in a second and I'll get a totally different message than what you meant to send. And had it, were it not for Tiffany saying, no, 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 that's not what they said. That's not what they meant. She'll go back and she'll check my text. You know, hey, did you, uh, I saw her someone say, yeah, he, he wants me to go over there and do that. And I said, no, that's, that's not what he said. I said, well, what did he say? And I go back and look. I said, oh, yeah, that's not in what he said. There's a lot of times I'll skim something to get it wrong, but I don't get this wrong. Because by himself is easy to understand. That means he did not need me to any degree to purge, to put away my sin. Now, again, either everybody will be saved then, or this atonement is specific. It can't be both. Now, what about in Romans, the fifth chapter, in verse 19? Let me read you another one here. It says, 
For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Notice this last part. So by the obedience of one <coughs> shall many be made righteous. That's pretty similar to what I just read in Hebrews. By the obedience of one, by himself, many were made righteous. Now, if it goes something like this, I've got to accept the call to preach. I've got to study. I've got to stand up here and preach. I've got to answer the call of God and give an invitation for you to come down. You've got to submit to that message that you've got to come down. You've got to, whether it's pray a prayer, you've got to be baptized or do any number of things. There's a whole lot of moving parts to that. And several people have to be obedient in order for you to be made righteous if that is in fact the way you're made righteous. It takes way more than the obedience of one. But this says by the obedience of one. And what obedience was that? When the Lord dispatched him, if you'll let me use that analogy again, when the Lord dispatched him, him and he said, I've got a family down there. But my wrath is yet to be satisfied for their sins. Turn on the sirens, turn on the red lights, go and save them. And when he did, and he died on the cross, and when he said, it is finished, the price was paid by his blood. And by himself, in that sacrificial act that he did by himself, all of God's people were made righteous. And all of their sins were purged. Not purgeable, not made purgeable, but purged. You see, that's specific atonement now let me give you one more here and this probably is the best one in Matthew the first chapter brother Tim mentioned this a few Sundays ago Matthew the first chapter <clears throat> when the angel of the Lord comes to speak to Joseph and he says this about the soon to be born baby Jesus he says this to Joseph, speaking of Mary, he says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And he says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And it says, For he shall save his people from their sins. And again, for coming from a guy who's bad to misread something, it's hard to misread that. She did bring forth the son. They did call his name Jesus. And the certainty of the third thing is just as certain as the first two were. That he shall save his people from their sins. And somebody say, well, you know, his people are, 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 are whoever, you know, whoever chooses him. Well, look, go back and listen to the first sermons that I preached. We can debunk that real easily. God dispatched him and said, go save them. And he did. And that shall there is a certainty for us. You see, God, I preached to you years ago, and I, I don't remember how long ago it was, about the, the satisfaction of Jesus in salvation. You know, one thing I, I, I never really can't grasp my mind is how can, you know, and, and a, mo a, a lot of modern day beliefs about Jesus is he loves you more than anybody in this world can love you. But in an instant, in an instant, that love can switch over to eternal wrath 
That doesn't make sense to me. In an instant, it can do that. Well, if you, if you, don't, if you don't accept or choose to be baptized, when you die that instant, all of this love that you've heard about your whole life turns into eternal wrath. That doesn't make sense to me. And I totally lost my train of thought. But that modern day view of salvation goes something like that. And my question that I have in my mind is, does Jesus walk the halls of heaven when all this is said and done and look down into hell and think, oh man, so many near misses. So close on this person. Golly, that person right there, if I could have just, if maybe if that person just hadn't been quite so distracted and they would have heard that unction from the Spirit to go evangelize to this one because this one needed the information to, to get out of hell and go to heaven. If all oh, so close, so close, so close, so close. What a misery that would be. But Jesus doesn't walk up and down the halls of eternity thinking about the near misses and could have beens. The Bible says he is satisfied. In Isaiah 53, it said, He shall see his seed as he hung on the cross and the travail of his soul and is satisfied. Why is he satisfied? Because he saved every single one that he intended to save. And I know I've used this example before also here, but if my four children were in a burning house, the only way that you could ask me was I satisfied in my saving efforts is if I saved every single one of them. I would never get three come out and say, whoo, I got three out of four, 75%. I'm pretty satisfied with that. It's a good test score. It's a, well, it's an okay test score. It's an okay test score. It's a good salvation score. No. The only way I would be satisfied is I saved every one of them. And when the Lord dispatched his son to go save his people, he saved every single one of them. For she, he shall save his people. None were left out. Now, last verse I'm going to give you here. And you tell me. You, you tell me. Does this sound like a specific atonement or a general atonement? In John the 10th chapter, Jesus says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then he looks at a group of Pharisees and says, Ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. Now, that's not Luke talking. That's the Bible talking. Those are the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says, I'm the good shepherd. And I give my life for the sheep. And he looks at them and says, but you're not of my sheep. All right. That sting a little bit. Well, let's rewind. All the way back to the sovereignty of God. Can't, is God unrighteous to have mercy on some and not on others? What, what's the word that the Bible uses to debunk that? God forbid. Amen. God forbid. You can look at depravity. You can look at what the definition of work is. You can look at the scriptures that talk about him saving us by himself, about him purging, redeeming, 
uh, us and uh, saving us. You can look at the prophecy given to Joseph that he shall save his people. You can look at the very example of Jesus Christ that says, I came to say, give my life for the sheep. And then looking at somebody and saying, you're not one of them. The Bible teaches a specific atonement. Now, maybe over the last couple hundred years, we've watered that down and we've made it to where, uh, you know, we don't see it that way. And this is hard for us to swallow. But folks, the Bible won't let you have it any other way. It really will not. The Bible will not let you have this any other way. And I am thankful that not only did God choose a people, but he dispatched his son to go save those people. And he wasn't sitting around waiting on Luke, twiddling his thumbs to figure it all out to activate what he made possible. Because I'd have never done it. And the Bible teaches that you'd have never done it. And that fallen condemned state because it would extend it beyond the limits of what our spiritually dead nature would allow. Now, the next time I talk to you is probably going to be my favorite one. I want to talk to you about now that they've been redeemed, he does something even he does something equally as special for them while they're on this earth is he didn't leave these redeemed blood-bought people in their spiritually dead state. He does something to them so that their light would shine and glorify the very one that chose and saved them. And I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.